Linux OTC. Welcome to episode three. We're your hosts. I'm Bill. I'm Norbert. And I'm Leo. Right. So I think, uh, I don't know, I didn't have a huge a lot of ideas for topics for today's show. It's been kind of a busy week, but I did want to, something I got to thinking about, and uh, it was kind of as a result of listening to some Linux user space and some of the technologies you hear people talk about nowadays, Mm. everything from your Dockers to, you know, your other containerized technologies, Lexi and... And then, you know, all of the derivative stuff, the the flat packs and the snaps and all that. And it occurred to me how different these conversations are from the conversations that we had about Linux 15 years ago or uh-huh. even 10 years ago. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is where we are now is really impressive and if you would have told somebody if you would have told me 15 years ago that these are the things that we would be talking about i would be i would be really impressed because in those days it was all about hey i got my wi-fi working on this laptop but i'm still trying to get it to work on this laptop you know and uh nowadays we're talking about building you know containers and doing orchestration and things and we're managing all of these different uh server workloads remotely and and just it feels magical and of course there's still no shortage of uh challenges left to be had but you know uh where we are now is actually kind of impressive. I don't know. What do you guys think? I want to you... go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, um, 15 years ago, we were still dealing with RPM hell. And <laughs> I think if you told me 15 years ago that we would still be talking about packaging uh, because it wasn't fixed yet, I'd, I'd actually be pretty disappointed. Because <laughs> it's the same conversation. We were having the same conversation 15, 15 years ago, right? Like, not a lot has changed. And uh, case in point, right? Uh, somebody was asking on Mastodon, uh, do you have any suggestions for a Debian desktop? Uh, because I, I don't know which one to use, but there's a bunch of choice. And, <clears throat> and well, I had... Uh, does Ubuntu under- also count as a Debian desktop? Of course. Uh, well, no, 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 I, I, no, no, it doesn't. In in his case, it doesn't because he was running Debian, so he wanted a desktop Debian to run proper. in Debian. Yeah, and so what I what I did was uh, I I responded to him with the original announcement of uh, from Matthias Ettrick in 1996 <laughs> of the the announcement of the cool desktop environment because he was making the common a, desktop environment. No, yeah. cool and with a K. Yeah, cool with a K. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. he was um because he he was making some joke about you know I didn't I didn't say best Linux uh, or best Debian desktop I said coolest Debian desktop right so I said here's the cool desktop is this cool enough for you and uh you know I thought he was in on the joke it was kind of funny because we ended up back and forthing a little bit and it turned out four or five toots in uh he was like oh that was a joke because the the <laughs> opening of that. Sounds the exact same way 
the the conversations that we were that we're having today about this is a new desktop. This is what we're planning on doing with it. It was the same exact conversation we were having in 1996, and it just kind of hit me. That's is that progress? I have have we actually progressed beyond where we were 15 years ago with RPM Hell, or you know, 25 years ago? Yeah, 25, 26 years ago, uh, deciding that cool desktop environment is the direction that we want to go. Well, I think we, we are progressing, but. Some people might not see it because things are not progressing in the direction they would expect things to to progress. For example, in the commercial the, direction. Yeah, for example, the packaging thing. The packaging, uh, the nature of package management, Linux having package management is one of the most recognizable things about Linux. So even if we end up, even if from five years from now, everyone ends up using an immutable system that still is built from packages. So packaging will never, probably never go away. And uh, Linux development and technologies in Linux are first and foremost driven by enterprise uses. And as far as I can tell, Linux has been used in enterprise 15 years ago. So has it been used for over two decades? I know it's been around for 30 years. I mean, Linux as a thing. Linux? Yeah. So yeah. have companies yeah, like Microsoft, night, Microsoft or Amazon been, were they using Linux 20 years ago? Oh, I, I think a lot of companies were uh, in the late 90s, at least. Uh, a lot of companies were, but they didn't necessarily say it. Um, yeah. Because it's, so know, it, it was a background appliance kind of thing. Like it's running our web server. Why would we tell anybody that? But it's still They're certainly is. using open source software in those days. Yeah. Well, it's. Well, it still is in the background because people who are using Twitter or Netflix don't know that the the content is being served from probably being served from Linux server, and that really should be okay. Um, I d you know it's open source, right? So we're never going to be removed from this concept that somebody uh, can come up with something new, and it's gonna and because it's open source, it's right out there in the open, being collaborated on, and it feels like something half baked, you know. And for some people, the interpretation might be that, well, because we have all of this stuff out here in the ecosystem that is perhaps not um, fit to task, you know, that uh, perhaps we're still kind of stuck in a, in a, I don't know, a beta stage or whatever, you know, when in actuality it's just people... Not everybody has the skill set to make better the things that have the commercial imperative, I think. And so they come up with new desktop environments or they come up with new things that don't work all that well, but it's something, you know, new and there's no barrier to entry except, you know, your skill set. But I think in terms of reliability and um, usability, and the fact that, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are now, but as far as the server workloads on the internet, it's we pretty much completely dominated. It's, I mean, I, I would... What else would you use? It's the, the, exactly. The, the choice is not between Linux and Windows. The choice for running a web server is between, like, Caddy and Nginx and Apache on Linux. <laughs> yeah. Well, TrueNAS has a, a spin, a version that is based on FreeBSD. Right. Oh, so, so yeah, and and BSD would be another choice. Yeah, for sure. And 
So as far as that goes, I think we've we've dominated, we've we've been dominated, and so now that's where the commercial imperative is. That's where the money from the companies, as it were. Now I'm not I, I I'm aware that some projects that are relied on heavily in that space don't necessarily get the love that they need. They don't get the support that they need. But all, Ooh, do you, you have know, an example? What do you mean? Uh, well, I mean, like open SSL and things like oh, that, that, you I know, where you, what was that heart bleed, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and then things like, uh, log for J and stuff like that pop up. And it's all because these are low level infrastructure projects that are being leaned upon by large corporations that are not, that are not, uh, donating back to the to the original project well not not and until they get screwed and then and yeah. then and then they're like oh what do you mean fifty thousand a year we can afford that yeah because right. the breach and the cleanup and the postmortem and everything else that they had to do cost more than fifty thousand dollars so right. <laughs> they're like that one's cheaper we'll do the cheaper one thanks you know though to be fair uh, it's difficult to know how to feel about this really because it seems to me that the problem with funding open source is dealing with people's uh, philosophical principles when it comes to taking money and the and the mechanisms by which they're willing to use. Because large corporations, if they're going to pay for something, if they're going to pay for a piece of infrastructure, they want to be able to invoice that and send it through accounts payable. That way they've got active records of these things getting paid and some of these developers i don't know they want they want funded through you know more altruistic means that corporations are just not willing you know roads they're not willing to go down so it's it's kind of difficult to know how to feel about it and well or i i do see that if you're trying to make it difficult for people to pay you then yeah i mean you're already kind of starting on the wrong foot um, if, if, if your intention is to get paid for your work, cause there's a lot of work out there that, um, I don't think people care if they get paid for, cause it's, you know, it's just a, a passion project or something for them. Yeah. But I mean, if you're, if you're going to go on Twitter and complain about being a starving artist, then you got to make it easy for people to pay you at least. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I can totally see that, right? Because if you're working on free software, like free, not just free as in beer, free as in uh, freedom software, then, I mean, yeah, you're, you're at a crossroads. Uh, you are. Do you use Patreon or something like that that obviously uses a ton of non-free software? Does that cross your philosophical line? Um, I don't think it should, but uh, it does for some people. I think that's what you were getting at, right? Well, yeah, and you're never going to get companies to pay you on Patreon. Yeah, or yeah, that's PayPal a, either. That's that's just not never going to be a thing. Yeah, when it uh, comes to companies who rely on open source, but not everything they make is open source. I don't think they would have a problem with uh, a non-open uh, way of payment. But you know, a lot of companies support projects not by financial means. They pay their employees to submit uh, to pro to contribute code to those projects. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know how the Debian. A lot of the Debian contributors are are canonical employees. Uh, so canonical. I assume they also uh, give money for to the Debian project, but they also just contribute code. 
But you know, yeah, when there's an open source piece of project, uh, I think TL, TLS, the HTTPS protocol might also be one of those that are maintained by a single person. Those are, those are way easier for companies to overlook the, the need for, for contribution. You know, and this, uh, culminates in things, uh, like, uh, various, uh, developers who are not compensated for their work and everyone, the whole world is using their uh, software, uh, maybe dropping uh, development or, or, or uh, including something malicious in their code. So maybe it would be an easier way to just in- incentivize companies to provide code to projects and not just financial means, because if uh, Google and Microsoft and, and Apple and Amazon can come together to contribute code to Linux kernel, there's nothing, there's, as far as, I'm, as far as I'm aware, there's nothing preventing them from coming uh, together in the same way on to work on something else. Don't yeah. contribute money, contribute code. Is that what you're getting at? These companies, at least. Yeah, maybe oh. that it would be easier to to get the companies who are not willing to pay money for the uh, to contribute money to contribute code instead. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I don't know, man. Okay. I, I feel like uh, if you're a company and you're using the software, man, uh, if you're going to contribute contribute code and money, how about that? <laughs> okay, mean, so uh, how do we feel about things like Amazon? Uh, well, how many years ago was it the whole MongoDB thing? Oh, where right. Where they tried to change the licensing. Around 2018 or so. Yeah, and then Amazon's like, oh, okay, well, we're just going to fork you right into Oblivion and uh, maintain it ourselves. Uh, I don't know what the license was on MongoDB, but uh, if it was a free software license, obviously that's against the spirit of the yeah. license itself. But it, I mean, obviously wasn't against the letter of the license, so... Amazon gets to do what they want, and if you, as a as a project, want to prevent that from happening, then you got to. It's got to be in the license. You, yeah, <laughs> uh, it is unfortunate, but um, that's what happens in a free software license. Sometimes it feels like that was a bit of a case where the developers were not inclined to work with. Well, I don't know if it was a case of uh, them not wanting to work with Amazon to uh, come up with a way of funding the project or or Amazon uh, participating or uh, if it was just Amazon not wanting to work with the MongoDB team anymore. But that was an, that was an example of when the developers and the uh, people using it can't come together and Amazon, of course, they've got, (laughs) they've got the uh, resources to take it over and just run it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that was what was going on, right? Like Amazon was using, was using it without contributing anything back. And then MongoDB decided to change the license to enforce that they takes uh, like actually give something back. And then Amazon was like, nah, we're going to, we're just going to fork it and leave. Thanks. Yeah. But the fact that we have software that is good enough for a company like Amazon to use nowadays, I think, is impressive. And it casts a huge shadow over anything, in my mind, any of the negative things about where we're at uh, progressively with uh, the Linux platform, you know, and... I got to thinking about that when I was listening to you and and, uh, your co-host on Linux User Space. You guys were talking about 
uh, Docker and Podman. You, oh, you yeah, hadn't, yeah. You hadn't heard of Podman, and I didn't know that it was just a drop-in replacement, basically. Yeah, yeah I knew. For, I knew it had something to do with containers. I knew it was a Red Hat thing, but yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't actually know that Podman. Yeah, as as you say, um, just a drop-in replacement for the most part of Docker. Basically, it's has the same cool. syntax. Yeah, the way uh, I found out about about Podman is I was interested in using Distrobox, and then I read up on right. it, and it says uh, as a as a pre as a pre requirement, you have to install either. Uh, Docker or Podman because they are sort of interchangeable as in terms of functionality. And uh, I'm, I'm running Fedora and I looked uh, in the Fedora repos and Docker wasn't there, only Podman. Later I found that it's probably because uh, Podman is uh, a Red Hat initiative project. Right, right. So I installed Podman and I installed uh, this Robox on top of it. And uh, at that point I haven't uh, used hadn't used either Docker or Podman, and I still haven't used pro uh, either one properly, only uh, as a backend for Distrobox. But uh, yeah, containerization is the magic word in the ser in the server space nowadays. And uh, the reason I mentioned uh, Linux on the server one or two decades ago, uh, as uh, as a uh, compared to now, is that uh, back then the is the fact uh, is how much the enterprise use itself has changed because they used to just deploy huge servers but now we have a bunch of little vms and is this what's called uh, vertical scaling right or horizontal well, yeah one and, of them because and for yeah. people that are not fully aware too that the 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 entire shtick behind containerization in the server spaces um as time goes on and your tool change your your tool chains change your software gets upgraded uh libraries get upgraded this changes that changes you've really got two choices you can either do like windows does and maintain a ridiculous amount of backwards compatibility with everything which creates spaghetti code or you can create uh, well, I can't think of a better word than containerization, where you are literally taking the services that you want to provide on a server and package those up with all of the dependencies, tool chains, libraries, and everything it needs right there in the container. That way, no matter how much the underlying operating system changes beneath it, the service that you are putting out on the internet or putting to your, that you, well, anything from Jellyfin to a website or whatever, none of that needs to change because the only thing it needs from the host operating system is the kernel. And, and just the kernel or maybe some other libraries well, or know, things. Yeah. I know that a uh, because of use you, because uh, the because of the underlying system being there, a container can be just enough environment for the thing that you yeah. want to run to run. Yeah. So it they so can be it, even it, more stripped down than a maybe a specialized version of Linux. I mean, okay. that's, that's what system. Alpine is. Alpine is just enough Linux to run things like Docker um, or to to uh, be the platform that people use to uh, to containerize stuff up with. So, um, yeah, the little bits of Linux tend to be Alpine a lot of times, which yeah. is, uh, I mean, really good because Alpine is fast. Uh, Alpine can be very, very slim and, yeah, just enough. 
Everything about containerization is just enough. Only what you need and nothing more. Just um, to give you the basic interface tools to be able to access, to work with the containers, to access the containers, you know, to have a file system to put your Docker Compose in. And uh, then beyond that, everything that's being ran is containerized. And I, you know, of course, opinions abound about containerization. Some people believe that it is lazy development because it means that all you got to do is develop this thing once and then you don't have to keep up with uh, distribution development. And I think that's kind of that's a good thing. That's short sighted. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is uh, an absolutely amazing thing because it allows um, the admin yeah. in the case to choose what he wants. Uh, if that's Debian, if that's Ubuntu, if that's Fedora or Red Hat or whatever, the container runs exactly the same in every single uh, on on every single platform that you put it on, and that's that's the beauty of containerization. So I mean, it, what yeah, the what what you were describing. Uh, is short-sighted, right? Because it, it's naive too. Because it would be hard enough just keeping up with distribution development on one distribution. But but if you're trying to develop something that's going to work on several different distributions, or you know, even just to keep up with uh, Fedora and uh, Debian at the same time would be an impossible task. Yeah, well, keeping up with Debian cards. nine and Debian eleven at the same time is a uh, is already um, a really really hard task to do. Um, so yeah, right. containerization, man. That was a very interesting choice of the mentioning two distros, Debian and Fedora, because that's that was sort of my setup for the past year, running on Fedora and having Debian uh, eleven in a uh distro box container so that I can have access to the Debian repos because I mm -hmm. as in, in natural sciences, biology and, and things like that, there's uh, and even physics. I, I I have never studied physics, but I know that a bunch of the packages in the Debian and Ubuntu repos are for uh, are specialized tools tools for research. And some of them that are more biology related I actually used from within a Debian container. And uh, yeah, I mentioned the Distrobox, but I didn't uh, explain what it is. If someone doesn't know, Distrobox is basically uh, it. It's an automated system. It uh, you create a distro within a distro. It will pull a container image, one of the images that you would use for a Docker Docker setup for a distro within a distro. So basically, it's uh, like a CH root, as far as I know. You still use the host kernel, but you enter an environment just like you would enter a stage. Is that a, a good comparison? I, I, I'm not sure. But you can run more than one application in, within one container. Yeah, And, and that, you can do that, that with Docker, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so basically you, it's not as stripped down as running uh, something like Nextcloud or... But you don't have to have like a separate display server yeah. running to... Yeah, what's interesting is I tested it out. I went into my Debian container. I installed Sooner and I started it on my laptop, on Fedora Spay, and I was expecting it to start through XVLand because I <clears throat> I didn't expect uh, the container system to figure out and connect to my VLAND uh, display server, but it started it That's as, fantastic. As, but it did start it as VLAND native. I know because I opened XIs and the eyes were moving, so... That's very interesting, and uh, there's uh, you Did know. Did you open XIs in the distro box though? No, I opened XIs as it is installed on the whole system, 
I keep it around because sometimes I sometimes I just check whether an application is Wayland or XWayland because more and more things are running Wayland native, and I'm really happy, happy yeah. about that. And you know, there's a couple of new distributions that use a DistroBox at the backend. For example, Vanilla OS and Blend OS, which right. basically, when you say that you want to install a package and you give it a flag, for example, AUR or DNF, it will use a an Arch or a Fedora container, for example, uh, in case of vanilla OS, which is Ubuntu based. And uh, I think the developer himself mentioned that uh, you can even install Steam and play games while having Steam set up within a container, which is mm-hmm. quite interesting. I mean, it's, That's the, fabulous. it's the same idea behind running uh, Steam in a flat pack. Right. I mean, right. The, that, that's the coolest thing about all the containerization is that we're already using it. And likely you listening are probably already using it if you're using a flat pack snap or app image. Eh, sort of app image. But yes. But when they work so good that there's really no, cons- well, no visible difference between running it that way, containerized, and running it on, uh, quote, bare metal. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the fascinating thing to me because some things do work better on some distributions than they do on others mm-hmm. so you know a tool that allows you to just simply have the distro that you need to use but yet have access to the package managers of other distros yeah i mean think then, of uh, a lot of the developers on uh, slower moving uh, distributions like i mean right, if you're, if you're yeah. having to use red hat or something like that um you for some reason don't have access to fedora I mean, that's that's what we're just getting done with on CentOS. Um, CentOS 9 stream is actually pretty usable when you add in the flat packs, right? Like, it's, it, it doesn't right. matter that the kernel is, uh, as long as it supports your hardware, right? Uh, it doesn't really matter what the kernel is or what, the, what everything around it is. Um, everything comes that you need in the flat pack. So you just run whatever software you want and the latest and greatest of that software makes things kind of nice. I wonder if something like DistroBox would be uh, like a better, I'll use Audacity as an example that, you know, you, you install it with the flak pack and the real-time plugins mm-hmm. don't work. And I wonder if you would have a better uh, experience with that. I might have to try that. I only uh, use... DistroBox or something. Well, I only use Audacity as a flat pack because that's where I had the least amount of problems. Uh, yeah. One or two years ago, I had quite a bit uh, of trouble getting Audacity to behave and share uh, audio inputs and outputs with other applications. That was on, I think it was on both Arch and Void when I, I used the native package of Audacity. And I, when Audacity was recording, I couldn't uh, also pass my microphone through Discord. So that was interesting. What about the app but, image? Have you tried that? No. The app image works good, but you don't have any theming. Yeah, I haven't like really tried app images. Windows 95, which I mean, whatever. That's fine with me, honestly, because if I'm an Audacity and I'm staring at Audacity, then the only thing I'm staring at is, an Audacity, is, is Audacity itself. So I'm not too worried that it doesn't integrate itself into the operating system if you're running the app image. Um, so, you know, that's fine. And like as we're using Audacity now, not looking at it. So even if it does not fit the theme, it's a tool. I don't need my hammer to match my screwdriver. Hmm. It's okay that one is orange and the other blue. Um, it does not bother me at all uh, when it comes and to And, of course, like AppImage is the officially 
right, supported. right, and that's that's why I brought it up just simply because you said um, yeah, it something doesn't work. The real time plugins don't work, but in the app image, I bet they would. They work perfectly, exactly. So, but that's, the only recurring bug, as far as I can tell, is the lack of a horizontal scroll bar. If oh. you launch the application maximized, uh huh. At least on Cinnamon here. Well, actually on KDE Plasma too. On on Arch, the same thing happens. Really? Um, like there's so the scroll bar doesn't exist, or you can't scroll. So you uh, launch the application full screen, or well, maximized, and then you import the audio, and then you zoom in on it to where it like stretches out past mm -hmm. the edge of the screen, and then that should make a horizontal scroll bar appear but it does not it's interesting I'm if using you unmaximize the window and then remaximize it it appears oh okay 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 so it's just a um mostly visual kind of thing right yeah because uh, i because the way that i scroll in audacity is hold shift and then scroll uh yeah and that'll move you left and right so i i very rarely use the bar down there but um yeah if it's not there i would uh i, I would need it sometimes i've just kind of gotten used to I've gotten used to launching it unmaximized and then importing and then zoom in a little bit and then maximize yeah. and then and then it appears as though it should. Huh. And you're saying this That's is a funny. problem with the the app image or flat pack? Yeah, flat pack. Oh, the flat pack. I just, and, I and just not looked at my flat pack uh, Audacity, and well, there was no scroll bar, so I I uh, minimize and maximize, and now it's there. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. And that's on Arch too, installed from the the. Uh, Stock repo. So it's a bug Same. in Audacity, not a bug in Linux yeah. per se. Well, so I mean, what, I guess it would be a Linux bug, right? I've never seen that on the other platforms either. So what you're so, asking, Bill, is whether it would work better in DistroBox as opposed to a Flatpak. But uh, and I'm just talking about the real-time plugins. Yeah, if you yes, if but, you installed it on there and then installed all the VST stuff, if you yes, but uh, why at that point why not just try what's the problem with the native package? Because what you get in DistroBox on, is one of, mm, is a native package of one of the distributions you choose. Yeah, and I'm still of the opinion, use the app image. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. there, it works, everything is good, just run the thing. As long and as that, you're not you know, on Ubuntu 2204, right? Because they don't include the Fuse 2 modules that app image requires to run. <laughs> well, you could, you could try putting containers. <laughs> I've between. had that problem a couple times, actually. Yeah. Like you gotta go install Fuse. I'm like what? I'm, what? Yeah, what? I, I and I and I really don't get the stance of the developer um, for not uh, talking to the distros. I mean, I get that it's fully independent and we should never really have to do any of that stuff. But I mean, if you don't talk to the distros, they're gonna do things like remove Fuse too because they don't need them. The only thing that would use them on their platform is AppImage. And if you're gonna stick your head in the sand, what's gonna happen? The exact same thing that Ubuntu just did. Uh, well, in yeah. 2204, and now app images don't work until add, you add the fuse modules, that is. That's a strange way to think. Yeah. You know, well, I, I think just... he, takes that, he takes that idea uh, everywhere, right? The lack of an app image, built-in app image updater. Uh, you can. You can build one in, and, and some applications do. Bitwarden is one of them. Um, yeah. But there is no native way to do that, as far as I remember. And uh, it's pretty much just a hard no. For, for building that. If, if the app does, developer wants it, the app developer can put it in. Is the Well, I think, the app, as far as I can tell, they kind of see that as being a feature because one of the claim to fame for app image is that you can have several different versions right there 
that you can launch. Sure, and you can at, do that with Flatpak too, on, I think. Um, and snap. I suppose. Well, you can, but for example, have Flathub and, and Flathub you know. Beta, and then install maybe Game Two Point Something from Flathub, and then Game uh, Game Three uh, Beta from the Flathub Beta repo. So that, right? Yeah. Probably that could work. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I I assume so. But it's pretty robust as far as that goes, because if you install Audacity from the repo and then you install it from Flatpak, the it'll literally show up with Flatpak in parentheses that, on in Mint. On Mint, that's yeah. a, that's a very Mint thing. Uh, only is it a Mint thing? Okay. Only some distros will differentiate between the two if uh, once it gets stuck in the in the menu. I, I know DistroBox does handle that, so uh, it will say like the AUR one or something like that. Yeah. Good old AUR. Yeah. It will say the name of the container. So if I have a container named Debian and I install Audacity within that, it will, and I export it to be listed in the application menu, it will say something like uh, Audacity on Debian. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. That's, yeah, that is pretty cool. I like that a lot. But uh, as far as AppImage goes, uh, my final word on that is their their whole reason for existence right was um to be able to run anywhere yeah without mm. that conversation you're not running everywhere hmm. yeah i mean you know your your average linux nerd will work all that out yeah fairly easily but you know somebody that just needs to download this thing and run it you know yeah I, and i think that's the majority of people too i i think the majority yeah. of people don't care I think uh, I think it's nerds like us that like to sit here and talk about the difference between all the packaging, um, and and how one benefit uh, a benefit of one is better than um, you know the implementation of another or something like that. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I wonder I wonder um, I wonder how the conversation goes to someone that doesn't care about packaging. I do wonder that. They just oh. they just look at how well the program runs and that's it. Well, yeah, I mean, if it runs at all, I suppose they never really change it unless it's unless it's running terribly or anything. You know, what, what comes to mind is the, the the backlash around the Firefox Snap startup time, which is... I mean, that, know, was, that was long, though. That, yeah, I, I, yeah, that was. I agree with and that backlash. That was, it was 12 seconds, 12 seconds on in uh, 2015 i5. I mean, not, not a super fast CPU in, by any stretch. But I mean, twelve seconds to my browser. Twelve <laughs> seconds, and I know that it was only the first run. But I reboot a lot, so I mean, it but, it affected me probably more than most. But still, twelve seconds, man. They got it down people, to eight, and then now it's like two, so it's fine now. But it was my 12 and I, my problem with Snap uh, is that a lot of people like to hate on Snap. I pers- uh, but I, I, I like to. Well, my my personal problem with Snap is that uh, I think it's a bit overcomplicated for a desktop because you know Snap will be uncompressed and loaded into RAM, so you can run it from RAM. But you can only have so much RAM on your system. So Says what the if guy you... that's that's pulling in containers and then installing software in a container and then having that container put a, an icon in a menu. Complicated. This no, I, is a I, bit more complicated no, wait, than I'm Snap. Not talk, I'm not talking about the method. I'm talking about how it works. Because, you know, if you install a Flatpak, you will have the app programs and the runtimes on the disk. If you mm-hmm. install a Snap, you will have the, the Snap archive 
and every time you want to run it after a reboot, it will have to be loaded to memory and then you run it from memory. But what mm-hmm. if there's not enough space in memory? So let's say you you're, you're run told the... to get more memory. Yeah, because <laughs> if you run the yeah, you run, you run the Firefox <laughs> you run the Firefox uh, snap. It loads into memory, use it. You maybe close it and use some other programs and maybe they fill up your memory. So the next time you want to run Firefox again, even you, you have, even though you haven't rebooted, you will have to wait again for it to be loaded into RAM, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in case of a flat pack, you don't have to load it into RAM because it's not compressed to begin with. So I'm sorry. Well, if you still I... have to load it into RAM. You yeah. still definitely have yes, to load it into RAM. Yes, but not just the components that you are using, right? But with 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 Snap, because oh, on disk it's compressed. When you uncompress it, uh-huh. it goes. It all gets goes straight to RAM, or maybe. Do well, I right, but have so, that wrong? so does so does a flat pack, right? When you run the flat pack, all the libraries and everything that are you, that you're using to launch that particular program does get loaded into RAM. So the end result is the same between a flat pack and a snap. It's just that snaps compress on disk and flat yeah. packs do not. So I mean, the yeah, uncompression so, is the only difference. Yeah. So sorry, maybe I I phrased it wrong. My I wanted to get to what my problem with snaps is. Being the compression, it makes sense on a server, but I don't really like the compression aspect on a desktop application. Yeah, well, I tend to use Snap on the server. That's that's pretty much where I use Snap. That's the really only place I use Snap. Yeah, um, and, and so I actually, startup time doesn't really bother me there. Yeah, and I actually started considering using Snap as well because I'm thinking about getting into I'm thinking about getting into self-hosting stuff, and uh, as of as of recording this, I will be buying an Intel NUC, you know, one of those mini PCs tomorrow mm-hmm. used uh, second hand. I go with the i3 I... on that one because it's got uh, it's got a better instruction set. Like it'll handle more things like Sorry? encryption. Uh, I would go with the i3 because you had a list. You put one. Yeah, of yeah. In but the chats. Uh, since then, I found uh, one that is a couple years older. I saw. Oh, like you a... cheated! Yeah. There was an option that wasn't on the yeah. list. I see. Yeah, okay. I found a. It's a sixth generation i7, so it's a bit older. Oh, but in, yes, sir. In ter- but in terms of benchmarks, the overall score is better than the 11th generation i3. Which fun fact is the same yeah, eleven generation like, i3? There's like six or eight cores on that thing, man. Yeah, yeah that I yeah. I have in my laptop, which is a two core four thread. It's the i3 1115G, mm-hmm. and the I don't know what the what the sixth gen i7 is, but the the single the single core performance is worse than mine, but it's a four core eight thread, so the overall score is better. So, and since I want to to try things like uh, virtualization and proxmox and containers, one of the things I want to set up is um, Nextcloud. So it's a bunch of stuff that's adjacent to what we talked about today. So. Not a huge fan of that yeah. Nextcloud snap. Oh, yeah, that, that's, oh, that's why it's I, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's it, why I, it, it's easier. But uh, uh, mm. well, I don't, I don't do much with my Nextcloud. My Nextcloud is for storage. And yeah, notes, if you're just going to use it one, one maybe two people. But I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna run the document server, because you know, if you're gonna run the like for uh, Mintcast and by extension this show, the. Uh, document server is a separate uh docker image running and uh because i tried running that like the the built-in way and when you're collaborating with people all over the world it falls flat on its face so i think the snap is fine for one or two people using it i i wouldn't rely on it for a production environment that that sounds i i don't suppose 
uh, Nextcloud actually wants that to be the case. <laughs> that might yeah. be that might be something you need to bring up <laughs> to them. It it might be because they're they're but they also first party I think package. That, they package the snap themselves as far as I understand. Yeah, I don't know if they want people using the uh, because it's it's the built in code server is what I'm talking about that mm. just. Well, if it's just one one or two people using it, it's not too bad. But, you know, we were trying to use it as a drop-in replacement for Google Docs, and it just wasn't it just wasn't holding up in its current form. Now, I don't know. You, you might be able to run the snap and then install the separate Docker container for the for your own code server. Yeah. And that might work, too. I didn't try that, but uh, I'm, I'm a- I have not had a single problem with the bare metal install i'm a fan of uh hedgedoc uh for for doing like any kind of uh documentation or uh collaborative collaborative documentation oh markdown and stuff oh like yeah 100 percent. i mean it, it's just it's hands down it's lightweight and it works very well and the only thing you really have to learn is markdown and you really don't because it's got all the little text editor things across the top just like a word processor would yeah i was looking at that too because i remember you bringing that up and I looked at that and I thought, yeah, that's fine for me. That's fine for one or two other people on the show, but I'm not sure everybody was going nah, to be you able just, to. You just got to push the button and then let them hate you for a little bit. And then everybody <laughs> it's, will get it's either used to you're, it. It's either you keep up or... <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's been running great, though, ever since I've set it up. So I haven't felt the need to change anything yeah. wait so you, well anyway so you're not using the snap because i think you mentioned the first you went for the snap and that's i uh, tried it at first and it like i don't know there was just weirdness to it it had to make things happen you had a whole different set of instructions than the uh officially supported documentation laid right, out right, right you know so, so what are you using now docker no uh, and it's bare metal. Oh, you scratch. Ooh wee! What happens when yeah. you got to upgrade, man? <laughs> it upgrades. It it has. No, I well, mean we've been running it for your operating system. <laughs> uh, From... It seems I've had one upgrade since I've installed it, and oh. it seems to work great. Okay. On what is so in what package format? Ubuntu uh, server. Oh, so it's uh, so it. Wait, uh, Ubuntu is a you static dis- distro, so does does do some packages still get feature updates like Nextcloud? Then not really, no. Like your well, PHP is not going to change or anything. Nextcloud is kind of installed the way you do WordPress, where you download it mm-hmm. directly from the website. Uh, so it's not to uh, apt install Nextcloud. No. Well, you apt install things like MariaDB and PHP, and then all the PHP uh, modules that you need to run everything on it. And so but that's the only thing that the distribution is. And you were saying that you've upgraded from like 2004 to 2204 or something? Correct. Wow. And yeah. it and nothing broke. Nothing broke. Wow. Uh, because I mean you're just getting new you're just getting new Apache uh, you, Apache too. Uh you're getting new Apache, you're getting new MariaDB right. and you're getting new uh, PHP. Well, it's good but, to know that uh, the newer versions of those things are still backwards compatible with whatever Nextcloud is using in behind the scenes. Yeah. That's cool. I don't even. And then Nextcloud itself has its own upgrading yeah, that's fine. mechanism. So that kind of handles itself. Uh, it's the other bits, more like MariaDB and uh, PHP, that kind of scare me during an upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. 
I know that I want to set up Nextcloud somehow. I'm not even sure what distro I'm going to put on it yet. My, I think I have about five contenders. Debian. Do it on Debian. Arch. Yeah. Do yeah, it on I, Arch. Let me. Let me. Uh, yeah. Do it on Arch using containers so yeah. that when Arch inevitably explodes. It's actually a fairly simple process to just pull down the new containers because you're using Docker Compose or something like that, likely. Um, and then you just back up your data and then make sure the data is in the same spot as it was before after you reinstall. Hmm. Do a, a Docker Compose up and you're golden, man. It pulls yeah. down everything. Set up your own email server nope. using Arch. Nope. I'm out. <laughs> yep. Do it. I, I stick. <laughs> because because it, Arch will give you the up to date version of. Uh, uh, Docker Compose. Self-hosting need email to run is a that. naughty word, man. No. <clears throat> I got into that uh, mail cow. I started playing around with that, which is basically just a curl script. Yeah. You know, so that's breaking all kinds of rules. But uh, it, 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 you go curl this, stri- this script and it sets up like nine containers. And, but it, but it needs uh, Docker Compose 2.0, which you don't get with, uh, you can cowboy install it. That's how I do from, it. I don't care. I just I just yeah. chuck it in user. And bin, there's man. a curl script for that too. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't even bother. I just go to GitHub and get the latest one and chuck it in user bin yeah. and call it a day. Like I I just need Docker Compose, so that's how I'm going to get it. I think it's packaged now, though. I think Ubuntu package is one. Um, they do, but it's, do, but it's but not it, too it, like you said. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Which, that's how I just yeet it into user bin, run it. What I've right been on. using as a because we're crazy man. Yeah. Why what I've been using as a sort of makeshift home server is my old laptop with Debian stable on it. So when I finally get this Intel NUC, I was thinking I would put either Debian or Ubuntu it, or maybe NixOS, because it does have a uh, server use and it has convenient ways of setting up things like Nextcloud. But I've also That's looked true. into Pro- yes, but I also looked into Proxmox and TrueNAS because I will probably end up uh, connecting a few hard drives to it. But I'm not sure if I need Trunes because I don't really want to set up a complicated raid. Uh, well, I say that com- it's complicated because I haven't tried it yet. It's pr- maybe it's simple. So well, I, I think I, it's complicated, I, and that's why you shouldn't do it. Um, okay, like uh, I, it's a simple setup process. What I'm saying is, um, you better have backup disks. Like whatever yeah. size fails, you better have backup yeah. disks for it because you're gonna run. No, you know, you're those, gonna end up in a degraded so, state, Bill. You're gonna end up in a degraded state, and it's not gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> you know those tools like True NAS and Open Media Vault. I I used to use Open Media Vault, they and it's kind of like taking the True NAS approach and putting a Debian backend on it. And you can use the Proxmox kernel and everything like that, so you can get proper ZFS or ZFS support on it. But you end up with a whole lot of stuff that you really. I mean, the first thing you want to do is identify what you want that server to do everything and <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing i don't know yet i know that i want to have uh, one thing two things one next cloud two having a an instance of debian stable so first uh i was thinking maybe i should just install proxmox and then have a debian uh running system running on top of that i have a friend who mentioned he tried uh, home assistant os which has a one-click deployment for the bunch of container stuff like uh like a Docker, sorry, like a Nextcloud, and but I'm not really interested in the the smart home management uh, aspect of it. And then he uh, recommended uh, TrueNAS. But the thing yeah. about TrueNAS is that its main focus is on 
having uh, your disks uh, set up in a RAID or at least pooling disks and uh, I'm not sure if I would want to do RAID 1 but I see that RAID 0 is basically distributing uh, data across two disks so if I I have two uh, identically sized two terabyte disks so that would turn it into a four terabyte pool but uh, I would like to be able, but but I would like to be I would like these disks to be usable when I when they're not connected to the server so just a regular hard drive so I would probably end up setting up the internal drive in the NAC as a permanent storage and then just connect to a, to it uh, just connect the external drives to it for uh, extra space but, well uh, we're going to well, have to stop you uh, because yeah, I know Bill's uh, got to get out of here and yeah. I want to leave some suspense for the next episode <laughs> yeah we're going to get into self-hosting on the next show uh, spoiler alert no one should do and... it ever well, we sort of already did in a, <laughs> just a little just, teaser prequel. Just put everything you own on the cloud. Yeah, it, you just you, you, you'll be grand. Get Google uh, Space Go- and just let Google handle it for you. Google uh, that's, Drive. That's put all word. your photos. Yeah. Everything, your whole <laughs> life. Put it out there because uh, Google yeah. is a good steward of your data. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well done keeping a straight face there. I, I don't know. There's arguments that maybe they are, but they're not. That's an argument for another day. (laughs) The the reason I could keep a straight face is that I was too busy thinking about a joke to make, uh, in connection with this, but the, the best I could do is, uh, well, if Apple still had iLife, then I could say that if you keep everything in, in iCloud, that's your iLife. It is. Hey, hey. All right, kids, we're going to get out of here. Um, email the show, linuxotc at proton.me. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Um, comment directly on the website. That seems to be mm, a couple of people have made use of that. Um, right now, we've just got it's really a just Discord me. channel. I'm, I'm actually the one dropping all the comments. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> We got a Discord channel. Go go join that. Um, let us know one way or the other where you think uh, we would have the best social media presence because we could just set stuff up willy-nilly all over the place, but I really would rather just focus on one or two things. The fans want a Facebook. That's what they want. Yeah, we want Facebook groups. Well, that's what Three Fat Truckers is on, and it makes me, it makes me like, <coughs> hurts my heart a little bit every time. It hurts. But uh, anyway, we're going to be back in a fortnight. We're going to talk about self hosting. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, until that time, I've been Bill, and you still are, and I'm still Norbert. Uh, you said that last time, <laughs> and I'm Leo. <laughs> oh, I'm recycling jokes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>